Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 215. My name is Adam Patterson. Joining me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Right. I got like a sinus thing going on. I, I have a little bit of a congestion issue right now as well. I don't know what's going on. If it's an allergy thing or what. But stupid weather. Yeah, that might, that might be it. Uh, this week on the show, we'll be talking about Shane Black's The Nice Guys. We'll also be talking about some other stuff we've been watching on the watch list, movie predictions, new on video on demand, Blu-ray releases. Don't really have any news this week. Nothing big dropped. You can check uh, the site over at uh, filmpulse.net. we got some trailers up there. we got some new reviews going on. We uh, have reviews for The Nice Guys, Almost Holy, The Damned. I'll be talking about that a little bit later. Uh, if you missed Ryan Watch's movie this week, we had him watch The Monster Squad in honor of the nice guys. So that's that's worth a listen. Filming. And uh, we have the, the Brooklyn Film Festival announced their full lineup. Got the f- full lineup for that up on the site, so you can check that out. Did a Blu-ray review this week for The Witch. Oh, hold up. Yeah. Watch out. Uh, Criterion announced their August titles, so you can check out that list on the site, so... Number number of good things, but nothing nothing major that I wanted to discuss on this week's episode. So I think we can just go ahead and jump into a review. Oh man, for the nice guys, he's going straight to it. Zoom zooming along today. We're just gonna zoom right along. So this is directed by Shane Black. It's co-written by Shane Black and Anthony Begarazzi. I have a synopsis here. A mismatched pair of private eyes investigate the apparent suicide of a fading porn star in 1970s Los Angeles. This stars uh, Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. Uh, There's some other other names come in here. So Kim Basinger's in it for a very short amount of time. She's two scenes. Yeah. Pops up out of nowhere. Yeah. Keith David's in there. Always, it's always nice to see Keith David. Oh, yeah. And Matt Bomber's in there, too. Uh, so I think I'll start this off because I, I was really hyped for this movie. Uh, and I gotta say, I think I was too hyped. Oh, no. The, the, it was too much. The hype, I, I went in with such lofty expectations and hopes that I think I left a little bit let down <sighs> with this movie. That isn't to say I didn't like it, but I, I, there were aspects of it that just didn't work for me. Although I will say, overall, I thought it was really funny. I had a good time with the movie, uh, but it wasn't without its its problems. Uh, I thought that Kim Basinger was pretty bad in the two scenes that she was in. Like she's just—I don't know what it is. I just don't think she's a good actress. I think that's what it boils down to. <laughs> I was gonna say exactly the same thing. She's just not good. Because and... when she showed up, I'm like, oh, Kim Basinger. Man, I haven't seen her for a while. I wonder yeah. why that is. And then she started like delivering lines. And I was like, oh, maybe that's why. She's yeah, not uh, good. I didn't I also wasn't a big fan of the whole uh like Detroit I don't know what you would even call that. Allegory, foreshadowing, that whole <laughs> aspect of it. Because it felt unneeded. It didn't it didn't feel necessary well, to, to put that stuff in there. You have that and then they just take it to terrible levels with the the final scene with the kim Basinger. Uh, yeah that's like, that's oh, spe- direct yeah to the kid. that that specifically was was quite quite awful yeah uh 
But other than that, I, I, I thought it was really funny. I loved, I mean, Shane Black, the thing that I like about his films and his scripts is that he's really good at dialogue. I think that his dialogue is always, he's an expert at banter. And I thought that obviously the strongest aspects of this film were mainly the banter between Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. And I thought Ryan Gosling was absolutely hilarious in this movie. I really did. I I thought he was so funny. He he is pretty funny. And I wish he would do more comedy. He's a really good comedic actor. Yeah. The 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 interesting thing for me was I usually enjoy Shane Black's banter, but this is one of those instances where it felt it was uh it was excessive. Like scenes were just drawn out for entirely too long. They just kept the banter going and it was just oh my god, it was exhausting. <laughs> So, just a heads up, I did not like the nice guys. Yeah, that's a, that's a shame. I, I mean, there's there's bits and pieces of it that I did enjoy. You know, the mostly the comedy here and there. But, man, a lot of these scenes just, they go on forever. Um, yeah. I like the, when they're talking to the kid, the kid on the bike with the supposedly like that just keeps going <laughs> see i thought that was funny <laughs> like it start to me a lot of these scenes start off funny with the banter and then they just keep dragging it out and dragging it out oh, so they, just, they, they overstay their welcome yeah it's just like okay let's end this scene now please at some point in time just... i didn't mind that i didn't mind that all, at all i thought i thought that was quite funny I... most of that stuff but i can i can totally see where you know it it, it does get a little well-worn by the end because i like banter and i like one that you know they're throwaway lines i mean we always talk about this how much we like throwaway mm-hmm. lines and that's the beauty of it it's a throwaway line it just it happens and then you move on to the next but here it's like a throwaway line and then it's thrown onto the floor and then we just stay and watch it on the floor for like another three minutes it's just mm-hmm. like stop this please stop this it's entirely too long yeah, um, that didn't bother me so much. I mean, I, I recognized that it was there. It was it, they definitely did hang on a lot of jokes and things, but that that didn't bother me so much. I just, uh, I guess, just maybe the the plot overall didn't really grab me. Well, um, just because it was just so, it, it felt I don't know <laughs> unnecessarily complex. It's like every single one of his movies ever. <laughs> it's the, like it's the, it's the same as like any uh, it, because I just watched Kiss Kiss Bang Bang in preparation for this. So yeah, and I rewatched it too. So we'll come back. It's to that. pretty much the same. It and is the Last Boy Scout. The, pretty much the same. Lethal Weapon. Pe- kind of the same. Like it's always like the same setup, and it's usually yeah. kind of the same plot points and everything that happens. I mean, it's so. I think of all of his his movies. It, this is very similar to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I mean, very very similar. You got it's it's got that kind of L.A. Noir vibe to yeah, it. Yeah, which it seems like yeah. that's the only thing he can really write. I'm I'm fine with that. I love L.A. Noir. <laughs> that's so true. That is right up your alley. That, that that is perfectly fine <laughs> with me. I don't have a problem with it. Uh, yeah, I just I thought it was really. I liked the the action scenes. I thought were really well done because they. They were still funny, but they were also, they did some interesting things with the action scenes. But I think my favorite one was, uh, this isn't a spoiler, but it's, it's towards the end. There's a scene where Ryan Gosling is just, he's floundering and he just keeps 
smashing through windows, getting hit by cars, just over and over again. And then there's that one line at the end where he goes, I think I'm invincible. That's the only explanation. Uh, See, yeah, there's there's some well-placed comedy throughout. It's just unfortunate that you have to you have to slog through so much through so much shit. But it was great. Yeah. He was, it did seem like he was going through an excessive amount of glass, <laughs> and he was getting hit by cars all over the place too. It was just over and over. And the, the I think that was the same scene, or maybe right before the scene where he he falls off the roof, and Russell Crowe goes, "I thought you were on the roof. Did you fall off the roof?" He has a penchant for oh, falling. I, I just liked the dynamic between these two characters. I thought it, it really worked for me. <laughs> just the the personalities of Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling's characters really uh they they really gelled with me. I think it, to me it was more more on Gosling's side. I thought Crowe was okay. Well, because Crowe's character is he's more of the kind of stoic tough guy, you know. Yeah. He doesn't it's not like he has a lot of personality to work with. He's, you know, that's just the character. Oh, let's let's jump right into it. Goslin screaming. <laughs> There's so much of it in this. <laughs> it's, a, it's so amazing. There's a ridiculous amount, and I just love it. I loved every single instance of it. Anytime it happened, mm-hmm. I just started cracking up. Yep, and it oh, happens. It happens a whole lot in this, and it's it's just. It's magical, is what it, it is. It truly is. It is magical. The the high notes that he hits, <laughs> I, just, I don't know how he does it. I'm not quite sure, but man, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, one unfortunate thing, I, I thought that a lot of the funniest moments were shown in the trailer, which yeah. I hate it when that happens, and that was a, that was a real bummer for me, that all of the real... Um, and, and there were plenty of, like you said, there were plenty of throwaway lines and things like that, that, that were not shown in the trailer, but a lot of the, like the, the, the big beats were covered oh, yeah. in the trailer, Oh yeah, which was that, that was really unfortunate. I wish that it didn't go that route because it did, it did actually ruin some of those jokes for me, but then some, I still laughed at like the, at the beginning when he breaks his arm he goes, no, <laughs> he's like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> like growling while saying no. Uh, it's just, uh, uh, it's just unfortunate. And it is a unfortunate. Of, a lot of the more, you know, familiar things that you see with Shane Black movies. Like, of course, he works in the, he works in the, the use of fag or faggot. He gets that in there. He's got to do that. Get that I, don't, I don't even remember. The, little, remember the little kid calls him, calls him fags as they're walking to their car. He's oh, I don't even know if I picked up on He's that. He's always got to get that in there. And then, of course, he has the, the Hollywood party, which is like, hey, we need this show. The lavish Hollywood we gotta, party. We got to show some tits. How are we going to do this? Yeah. It, yeah. Because the, then, they, you know, that, they have the whole scene with, like, the two mermaids. It's like, what can we do for this scene with the two mermaids? Okay. Well, number one, they have to be topless. And let's just have them kiss for no reason. Let's just do that. Yeah, but that's just an exploration and just the lavish indulgence of Los Angeles. I mean, I don't know if that's a direct reflection on. No, it's a di- yeah, Shane Black. Yeah, because he has he has it in like every movie. 
Well, I mean, specifically, yeah, specifically this the the holiday party in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with the weird, you know, costumed models and stuff. I mean, that was that was in this too. There's a lot of parallels that can be drawn between this and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang for sure. You mean you both have both movies have the damsel in distress, and you have you know the job of the detectives to either find or protect this girl. And yeah, the the movies are very similar. If you if you didn't like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, odds are this one's not going to do it for you. Yeah, yeah, that's what happened for me. Yeah, but I still I still had uh, an enjoyable time overall. It just it just didn't really it just didn't really it just hit those levels that I wanted or and expected it to. Yeah, I just thought it to me it just had a, a terrible terrible pace to it. I, I agree, uh, especially mm, probably within the second act. I, I it it really started to lose me for some reason. Like I was getting, I was actually getting bored. I was getting drowsy. It's like, man, this something's got to happen here. What's going on? <laughs> this uh, interesting that you should say that this is only the second time that my wife fell asleep in the movie theater. Uh, somebody in front of me. I, so I almost nodded off twice. Uh, I was able to save it and recover, but there was someone in front of me in the theater who was snoring for <laughs> a large portion of the movie. I didn't have that. I had um, two older ladies that were explaining the plot to each other in normal outside. Oh, that's great! <laughs> normal outside voices. You, you gotta love it when that happens. <laughs> it's just like, what? Please stop. You can discuss it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Just make a mental note of your questions, if you're confused, and discuss it afterwards. Like when a woman, the woman shows up, that's the woman they're looking for. It's like, oh my god, please shut up. Uh, uh, I will give props to Warner Brothers for using the, the old logo at the beginning of the film. Uh, I always like it when they add little touches like that. Gets you, gets you amped up, but it does. It just, it, yeah, just wish it extended to the actual movie. <laughs> actually being a decent yeah i mean this this was probably one of the biggest letdowns for me this year so far because i was so excited for this movie it looked like it was going to be just a, a a laugh riot and while it did make me laugh a lot specifically ryan gosling i think he's the only he's yeah, the, well, the funny part of this movie him and the the girl that plays his daughter well, that's the other and thing Corey, I wanted to add. Corey Rice. I thought she was, yeah. those two together, I thought she was fantastic. That was one, that was one interesting thing about this is that she tags along. His, his, uh, Ryan Gosling's, uh, she's 13, I think, 13 year old daughter tags along for this pretty much the whole thing. And I thought that that added another interesting dynamic to the whole thing. Cause not only are they trying to get this, this case solved, but they're also trying to take care of her because she's not listening. She's, going to these parties too she's getting herself in trouble so they're they're trying to keep an eye on her as well she's awesome. and i thought that that added a really uh cool aspect of it yeah i enjoyed that that was my favorite part of the goslin and her Gosling yeah because you have this really kind of interesting father-daughter thing going on because he's obviously a terrible father <laughs> yeah no he's not he's not good he's not good in any way shape or form really and I just like the idea of this thirteen-year-old girl trying to hire Russell Crowe to kill one of her friends. 
I don't think it was to kill. I think it was just to beat up. It'd be a little too dark if, if she hired him to kill kill one of her friends. But there was that messed up moment where she's she's watching a porno. Yeah, like, that happened. What? What? That happened. Yeah, that's something that's in there. Uh, I yeah, I I don't really have anything else to say about it. Actually, no, it's just pushing black. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, if we don't have anything else to add, let's go ahead and give this thing a score. <laughs> I, uh, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give the nice guys a six out of ten. Six out of ten. My favorite line was when um where he says Jesus Christ and then Janet says you took the Lord's name and he's like oh, I actually found it very helpful. Janet. Uh, uh, I give it like a, a five, four and a half, five. All right. The longer I sit with it, the more I dislike it. To be honest, I'm kind of the opposite. Actually, the more the more I think about it, the more like the the kind of funny lines and and gags come back to me, and it makes me chuckle to myself, and that makes me like it more. So I just need more Goslin and comedies. Yeah. What a great character. This 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 guy. <laughs> I would I would I mean they can they kinda well, that's kind of a spoiler, but they could revisit this these two guys too. I, I think that, that would be fun. I mean that is they did it the right yeah, way. Yeah, I mean it's kind of a spoiler, but at the same time you it's not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you knew going in that they're it's at least gonna be set up for that. Like, possibly. I don't know. I, I could see them. Well, that's even more. not not gonna not gonna further this conversation. <laughs> Abort. Yeah. Abort. Yeah. Uh, the nice guys playing in theaters right now, doing very well. It's got a ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes. We gave it an eight out of ten on the site. Blake reviewed this one, so he was he was a big fan. He he always seems to get a pass for some reason. Shane Black. You, I, I think, think I, I honestly think it's it. that dialogue. I think it's that script. It, like he just, I, think, I think his dialogue is just on point. I, it's so it's funny to me. I just think that he would get torn into far more than he does. Yeah, really not though. One one thing that I thought was kind of a little over the top was when Ryan Gosling found the body when he when he tried to be all oh that was cool so he, terrible when he when he was trying to be all cool and he fell off the side of the building. And then what he, which was funny, but then he found the body and just it was like so cartoonish. It was the way he's just like, <laughs> yeah, like that. I was like, oh my god, is this they they actually decided to keep this in? Like this was so ridiculous. Yeah, it's just there was, it, and that like that that's my main issue with this film. There's there's so many times like that where it's like you could have cut that out or at least yeah. whittled it down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a longer movie. It's almost two hours long, so they they probably could have trimmed a little bit of it down. Felt like three. Felt like Just not three the hours. not the scene with the kid on the bike with the big dick, because I was <laughs> I thought that scene was funny. <laughs> do Do you want to see my dick? No. All right. Uh, so again, nice guys in theaters now. Let's talk about some of what we've been watching. I'll start it off this week. Don't don't have a whole lot to talk about. It's all The Damned, Don't You Wish That We Were Dead. This is a documentary, a rock doc about the band, the punk band The Damned, one of the one of the early punk bands. I mean, they they came around maybe even before the Sex Pistols, right around the same time as 
the Clash and the Sex Pistols started to uh, gain popularity in the UK. The interesting thing is that they never, the Dam never quite hit the same level of fame that those other two did. Um, but interestingly, they they had a, a like a stronger uh, uh, focus on musicianship than bands like the Sex Pistols, where they actually knew how to play their instruments and they they actually put thought into composing their music and stuff but uh i think that maybe one of the reasons that they weren't as big is because they didn't uh first of all instead of relying on getting a record contract they immediately began touring and stuff so they kind of didn't enter the studio system right away and then also their music, their lyrics were not as focused on the political strife that was happening in the UK during that time. So a lot of their songs didn't really have a political slant, and I think that maybe that was one of the the uh, appealing things to some of those other punk bands coming up is the the anger that you know the the people had uh, with, with against the government at that time. And the Damned were really just about having fun and being wild, and they're a very theatrical band. I think that they started a lot of the trends that you see in punk rock, and that that whole you know the, the, they like the fashion and stuff like that. But interestingly, I mean, they're still around. They've been touring for thirty five years. They're so they're they're actually still a band. Still, They've had still grinding it out. Yeah, they're still they're still kicking. And they've had some switch ups, some some you know they have like four or five different bassists, uh, two of which got cancer. Interestingly, they both fortunately survived, but they both got the same kind of cancer. Really? Yeah, which is kind of weird. But um, the documentary itself, not great. This is not a good <laughs> documentary, unfortunately. Is it? Just standard rock doc type. It's it's not only is it standard, the way that it's put together is incohesive. Uh, it's because what it does is it it jumps back and forth between uh, present day where they're doing a reunion tour, so it follows them around for that, and then it jumps back and talks about their history and the early days and the the drama that was unfolding within the band and the you know alcohol problems drug problems all the standard stuff yeah um but the the confusing part comes from the fact that there there will be interviews so it's like your standard talking head documentary and there'll be interviews with various band members journalists etc talking about what happened to the band however we didn't get to that point yet in the timeline, in the, the history. So they would talk about, you know, this like feud between the, the drummer was a uh, rat scabies and they would talk about the feud between him and some of the other members of the band. And I would be like, what are they? T- I'm confused. Like, what are they talking about? Cause we didn't get there yet. So it, it was, uh, the way that it was structured was, was not very cohesive and that became that was a problem for me also it's way too long it's two hours long and they try to do this thing where the the filmmakers tried to hide cameras to try to i guess 
get some drama or maybe some some intimate moments with them uh, trying to talk about why there was this fallout. Because essentially what happened was there was a dispute over the rights of the songs and it's like kind of still happening today. They're still bitter about it. And the band sort of splintered. So you have um, three, you have the Damned with the, the original lead singer and a couple of the original guys. And then you have uh, Rat Scabies, the drummer, who ended up, because he owns the rights to a lot of the songs or something like that, there was like this weird rights issue. He can, he's able to perform the songs. So he and another one of the band members that left the band started touring, also doing songs from The Damned. So you have, like, basically The Damned is two two bands that are both t- touring right now. <laughs> you got Dueling Dams going on. Yeah, so it's, uh, unfortunately, nothing is really gleamed from that. Like, the, there's, like, one scene where they hide the camera and they find it right away. <laughs> <laughs> And, they, and it's like, just just take that out. Just take that out of the movie. We don't need this. <laughs> this is us failing. Yeah. But uh, apparently the, the director of this this film also did a documentary about Lemmy from Motorhead, and that was um, pretty good. I haven't seen it. But uh, mm. Lemmy was in this, actually. Mm. Um, the director's name's uh, Wes Orshosky. Okay. But either way, The Damned... Don't You Wish That We Were Dead is on VOD now. I would only recommend it if you're a big if you're a big fan of The Damned. Yeah. Like that's, if you're if you're I, I was never a huge fan of their music, but I I like uh well, sounds- punk rock and I like the history, learning about the history of punk rock because I find that, that period in time to be really interesting. So yeah, I found it slightly educational, but not not really. You could have just, just read a Wikipedia article. Yeah. You're done with that shit. Ten minutes of your time. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, I watched, uh, what do I got here? Vagabond from 1985. This is a Varda movie. Watched this on the, uh, the Hulu Plus Criterion version. Um, and, man, this is, this is quite a film. This might be actually one of my, one of my favorite Vardas. Um, and it's really interesting what she does here. She has, it starts out right off the bat, the central character, central performer, dead in a ditch. And then it kind of pieces her life. She's a vagabond, obviously. And it kind of pieces her life through. She uses um, moments of the, the, the people that encountered this woman up until the point that she died. So she does these like little vignettes of uh, reenactments of, you know, all the little informational tidbits that she gleaned from the interviews of the people that encountered this woman. So it has these, it's just like little brief like episodes of her meeting this person and meeting this person and her just roaming around the, the countryside and the people that she comes into interactions with. And it's, and it's her Varda essentially like creating this like portrait of this woman that people didn't really know. I mean, they kind of thought they knew her and they speculated as to, you know, why she was doing what she was doing. So it's her kind of gathering all these perspectives, these different perspectives of people, and then trying to create like a portrait of this woman 
through that. And there's tons of fourth wall breaks where they'll just have the person that encountered the vagabond will just look to the camera and essentially tell you what they thought of her, or what they thought in the situation and how they saw her as a person and what she was doing and stuff, which is really interesting. And it is, I also found it to be like, it just has some of the best tracking shots. I mean, it's like almost nonstop tracking shots and they're just fantastic. It's just one after another. It's like mm. masterclass in tracking shots. I like me some tracking shots. Oh my goodness, it's nothing but, and they're all fantastic. Cool. I did. That's the va- the that's just a vagabond. Where Hulu, where can you see this? Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus. If you got that Hulu Plus account. You got the old Hulu Plus. With that shitty shitty playback. I mean, Hulu is going downhill. Were there commercials in it? No, there's no. There weren't any commercials, but I I don't know if that's like a part of it. That how they have that new commercial free bullshit mm-hmm. so they made the old version of it just unbearable to try and get you to sign up for <laughs> uh sounds like a conspiracy well it, like the problem i always have is it'll it'll skip once and then the the audio will be offset and then every time that it like kind of buffers for a second it just adds to it oh and there's God, something that's the worst and there's sometimes where i'm watching like an episode of bob's burgers or something and there's like a full minute <laughs> oh god it's just like this is the worst thing i've ever seen that's a pet peeve of mine is oh it's audio audio sync issues oh my I, god it's so irritating i cannot stand audio sync issues if it's even a second it, out of yep. sync, it drives me crazy same here uh it's it, it renders whatever i'm watching completely unwatchable if the audio is even the slightest bit out of sync exactly uh, I saw a documentary called Holy Hell. This comes out this week, I believe. Comes out on Friday, I think. Um, this one is uh, probably one of the most interesting documentaries I've seen this year. I saw I saw two between this and Tickled. It's like two weeks, two two really good docs. This is it's directed by Will Allen, who was a member of a cult for twenty two years. Okay. He was in this cult for 22 years, and the documentary basically just goes over the history of his time in this cult. See, the thing is, he was, he, he was always a filmmaker, so throughout his entire time in this cult, he was just shooting footage nonstop. So you get this kind of crazy inside look into this cult, and it's just, I found it to be really fascinating. And it's, uh, it gets, I mean, it, it gets pretty, as far as cults go, this one is not as, as horrific as some, you know, this isn't like a, uh, a Jonestown thing or, or anything, but it, it does get pretty messed up towards the end. I mean, as most cults do, Yeah. but, uh, it's, uh, I found it to be a thoroughly fascinating journey in, inside this cult uh, for some reason i just find cults to be inherently fascinating because i don't understand and i'm always trying to wrap my head around how you can be part of a cult yes. like the yeah i don't understand it either the mindset behind that like the psychology behind it is truly fascinating you know because even into that and this is this was uh, the crazy thing is this cult is it's still around like it still exists it still has members it's just like where where do you need to be in your life 
to you know that joining a cult is a viable option. Yeah, I think this one's this one's interesting because it seemed like it started out um, in a very altruistic way, like it, this was kind of a you know group of people that were seeking enlightenment and they were looking to be at one with the earth and it seemed like kind of just like a hippie yeah, like, new agey type commune yeah but you know it, it slowly developed into this cult-like thing once once someone learns that they have some power yeah I mean that's the thing like the the, the leader of this cult the master uh it's it's um like that were that is that what his name is the master that's what they they yeah he he, like, he went by yeah that's, that should be like your first red flag shouldn't it? like no one should be named the master yeah yeah he went he went by the the master but there's all these really interesting revelations and things that happen and there's a lot of I mean it's mostly told through uh, home video footage with the director Will Allen doing voiceover talking about you know the dynamic of the cult and how it all worked. And then interspersed with that, you, he interviews a lot of the former members that he lived there with for so many years. And it goes through like year by year. So it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting to see how it progresses and how it escalates and how it gets crazy. Because they start off in West Hollywood, of course, and they end up, there's like a cult, there's a, like an organization that tries to bust cults. Cult Buster group, and they try to like infiltrate cults and break them down and deprogram all the members and stuff. And this cult, this anti-cult group, got wind of of them, and they ended up having to kind of go underground. And then they ended up going and setting up in Austin. And interestingly, this was right around the whole Waco thing was going down. And it's uh, I, I recommend checking it out. It's it's called Holy Hell, and it'll be out. This weekend, so nice, yeah, nice. Um, I got, I got to take another one off of my list of shame. I watched uh, Tarkovsky's Nostalgia from 1983, and uh, this is this is a dense. This is a dense movie. <laughs> Very de- a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, I don't know if I actually obtained anything during the viewing of the film <laughs> itself. Like <laughs> it felt edifying. But I'm not sure in what way and or how. I don't know if it's doing like some sort of covert edifying that I'm just I'm not I'm not conscious of. I don't know. But it feels like there's a lot of stuff in there, or there's nothing in there. I'm not sure. Uh, it definitely needs a rewatch. I can tell you that much. But on the first go through, I was. It might be perhaps because I was just transfixed by the the visuals throughout. Maybe that's what kind of uh, distracted me from actually like intaking any information and or insight. Um, And it is, it's just fantastic. The visuals in this and just the camera movements, long takes a lot of moving parts. You have so many, there's varying paths of the camera. It's not just like long static shots. It's like, you know, a tracking shot from right to left. And then it'll start, you know, it'll take, 90 degree turn and it'll start going up another path and then it'll come back because the characters are walking back to where they came from and then it goes from left to right i mean there's so many things going on which just really amps it up from because essentially what you're what you're watching is just a couple people talking doing the old walk and talk 
That's a walk and talk. The old walk and talk. Long take walk and talk. Um, so I don't know if I kind of got distracted by that, but I was kind of getting overexcited about the, the camera work that I was kind of missing what they were talking about. Could definitely be what happened. Um, but the, the, the last uh, camera pullout image making at the end of this film, it's just, I lost my shit. I just lost it. Because it starts saying just to him and a German shepherd by this little pond of water. And then just the camera slowly pouring out, and holy shit, what you get at the end of that, it's fantastic. Just, I got so amped up. Loved it. The sound, ed- the sound editing, too, is actually, and that, that's not something that I normally pick up on in movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not really cognizant of sound editing, unless it's, like, really impressive, which here it is, because he has, you have the, everything that's happening in the now is in color, and then the main character's memories are in black and white. And then when it happens in black and white, it's kind of in this, um, everything's kind of uh, like the movements are slowed down. Everything's kind of in this slow-mo version where like everything's kind of semi-suspended in memory. And uh, then you would have the melding of the two, you know, like the the audio of the, the past with audio of the present, just the way that they folded it into each other was uh quite impressive hmm. cool Just, i love that shit love me some tarkovsky Tars- little tarkovsky action that's one uh i think that's on like netflix i think it's on fandor too it's a lot of places the quality on netflix is not that good hmm. it's a shame that his movies don't have like i mean they should be in like pristine condition remastered you know what i mean I'm sure that they'll get remastered at some point. I think some of them are. I think they are too. I'm sh- I'm sure Solaris has a remaster. Yeah, that's on the uh, on Criterion. Yeah, I think he has some other ones on Criterion as well. Yeah, and there's some um uh that uh the like the overseas versions like the, you know the PAL DVD. I think there is a uh-huh. a Blu-ray box set or something. Mm, gotta get my okay. gotta get my hands on it. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about? Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, since you that's the only other thing I saw was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. All right. So my question, my first question to you huh. is, how much of a problem was a the voiceover in that movie for you, and b the fourth wall breaking? Uh, the narration. Okay, let's just jump into that right off the bat. I don't like narration. Right? I don't like it. Uh, and it turns out I like it even less when you're toying with it like poking fun at it having fun with it uh that's even worse so that shit was terrible this was a really rough go i I actually stopped watching it at one point i just got sick and tired of it i was so pissed off i hated this fucking movie for a while i just couldn't take it anymore i wasn't in the mood for robert downey jr's character i just hated him i hated everything about him he's such a piece of shit (laughs) <laughs> and I just, I stopped it right at the part where he's, he's killing that spider that crawls underneath the oh, crawl. Yeah. <laughs> and just his fucking character, because he's at, just before that, she's in his hotel room, freaking out about her younger sister being killed. And he just stares at her tits the whole time, because she ain't black. And you get the nip slip, and he's just like, he's all about nipples and the breasts and everything. He just, he's not even listening to her. And then he takes her 
carries her in bed and now he's in nice guy mode where it's just a fucking nice guy he's just so nice he's just killing that spider because he's looking out for her and then she wakes up and she's you know just goes on like oh you you know you touched a tit no big deal and then he like freaks out and he's like holy shit it should be a bigger deal to you even though that's not what i did who are you hanging out with and it's just like shut the fuck up so i stopped it at that point i was just like fuck this movie then I gave it another shot. I thought, okay, I'm far removed from it. The tempers kind of dropped a little bit. I give it another <laughs> shot because Val Kilmer was there for a little bit. And I was like, I really like the idea of seeing some Val Kilmer. So I'm going to give it another shot. Hopefully there's more Val Kilmer. And there was, which really helped out, even though his character is terribly written and it's just a shitty, because the whole thing is just like, ah, homophobia. Great job, Shane Black. So you have that and just, but. Kilmer's performance with his shitty character is fantastic. I mean, he does great work, even though his character is awful. I like. I thought his character was funny. I like the the way that he treated Robert Downey Jr.'s I character, did that. just constantly calling him a moron. <laughs> just I was a fan uh, of that because I because I hated that. I hated Downey's character so much, and then every time that Kilmer would you know just make fun of him, I was like, yeah, fucking tell him. Because it's just, you know, like, there's the point where uh, Downey's like, oh, you know, that one girl from high school. And Val Kilmer's like, yeah, his name was Bobby Mills. And, of course, Downey's just like, ew, ew, gross. You like guys, ew. And then, like, when he kisses him, he's just like, ew, yuck. <laughs> and he, like, spits on the guy. He's like, oh, that's fucking disgusting. It's just like, give me a fucking break. How old are you? Well, this movie, everything nowadays is way more... Uh, PC than when this when this movie came out. It was yeah, but it's still it's it a different time back then. I mean, it's 2005 though, and he's still yeah. doing it. This isn't like oh okay, this is you know because I it's a lot of that shit's in the last Boy Scout. Like it's it's in their heart the homophobia. It's all over the place, right? And it's in Lethal mm-hmm. Weapon too. It's in all of his movies, and you can kind of look back at those and be like, oh, you know, it was the 90s, you know, it was that kind of that time. And uh, so you can kind of give it a pass. But this shit just keeps coming up in all of his movies. And it's just, it's fucking tiring. And that's when I, I, and I tried like looking up to see like, oh man, someone had to like write, like just tearing into this guy for his homophobia. But there's really not that much. I didn't really find much writing on it. Like for some reason, he just gets a pass. People just let him go. I'm not quite sure why. I mean, the when I rewatched Kiss Kiss Bang Bang this week, it's the the, the gay jokes and stuff are definitely they definitely stick out. Uh-oh. But I try I I wrote that off as just being uh, it's just th- those were more accepted back then. Not not to say that that's okay. No, but it anything, it also but... seems like he kind of knows that he was probably catching some shit for it. So he's like, oh, how can I make it okay? Oh, I'll make Val Kimmer's character gay. And then that way I have, like, Cartier Blanche when it comes to I can just use gay jokes all the time because that guy's gay, so it makes sense. Which just seemed unnecessary, too. It just seemed like him being, Val Kilmer's character being gay, the only reason for that was so that he could put more gay jokes in there, which irritated him. The way that they, the way that they wrote it in, it was just kind of like an interesting, I mean, I guess that in and of itself was just a joke. The fact they called him gay Perry and yeah. that was, that was part of the joke. 
that he was gay, but he's also a tough guy. Yeah. He's gotcha. He's gotcha. And then there's just the, the little scene of, um, damn, I forget her name. Mich- Michelle. Michelle Moynihan. Yeah, Michelle Moynihan, when she's like drunk and going to sleep. And you just got to utilize that mirror to show her topless for no reason. Well, because he was trying to be a gentleman, and but he could see, and he was like, he he was into her, and yeah, but he's just he's such, trying not to look. But he's such a fake fucking gentleman. It's just, it's yeah. just, I, it's irritating. It's infuriating to me. I did not like this movie. The only thing I didn't like about it was the narration in the fourth wall breaking, especially at the end. That shit was just stupid. Yeah, uh, that was that that those were the only issues I had with this movie. Otherwise, I thought it was really it, a, fu- a fun pulpy. It is noir. I will say the thing that helped it, which is usually where I get, you know, where uh, the negatives for me come, is when once the the plot like really kicked in, it kind of uh, it seemed like it kind of distracted him from his homophobia and all that shit banter. Once it kind of got settled into that, it was it was okay. And normally. Movies, that's the problem that I have with a film is when it gets into the plot, it kind of gets bogged down by it. But Heroes kind of kind of helped it out in that case. I also like the scene. My favorite scene is when his finger gets cut off. <laughs> <laughs> it was a ridiculous scene. Because it was just such a, a random thing that happened that plagued him for the rest of the movie. <laughs> no. Uh, I stand by that movie. I, I still like it, despite the... The, the flaws. I don't. I don't like it. I don't like that shit. Uh, the only other movie that I saw this week is uh, a film called The Love Witch. This is uh, written, directed, edited, produced, costume designed by Anna Biller. She does everything in this in this movie, much like her last movie. Have you seen uh, Viva? Uh, no, no, I have not. Uh, so her last movie, she she also starred in her last movie. And it was kind of like uh, both both of these films have a very similar style, where she seems to her definitely her wheelhouse is kind of the uh, '60s um, like sex exploitation cinema. She she definitely revels in the the kind of trashy '60s films. And the thing that she that this director is really good at is nailing absolutely to the T nailing the aesthetic. I don't know. I remember when Viva came out and I saw it, I was just like, holy crap. Like if you didn't know any better, you would think that this was an old movie and there's very few. I mean, there's a lot of movies that, that kind of pay homage to, you know, specific time periods, specific subgenres of cinema, but very few can actually nail the aesthetic. I think Black Dynamite actually came very close. That that one definitely had, you know, the seventies black exploitation vibe. Yeah. Uh but The Love Witch is it takes place in modern times. So it's it takes place now, but the movie looks like it was created in the seven in the sixties rather. It was shot on thirty five millimeter, so it, it just again the, the the set design, the costumes, everything just looks so of that time. Feels like you're watching Beyond the Valley of the Dolls or something like that. Uh, basically, the film is about this this young woman who she's a witch and she is desperate to fall in love and have someone fall in love with her. So she casts these witch spells 
but they're they're so potent that the men that that fall in love with her uh, it, it's so overwhelming that they they die basically <laughs> and it's it's funny it's it's a funny movie it's intentionally comedic and it just i just enjoyed it immensely i would highly recommend seeking this one out whenever it gets released uh i think that Anna Biller is uh, an extremely talented uh, director and filmmaker With, just because she, she does everything in this. It, wasn't this just picked up, too, by... Oscillate? Yes, it was. Yeah, Oscilloscope picked it up, so it will be released. So, yeah, so she directed, produced music, film editing, production design, art direction, set direction, costume design. Yeah. Good Lord. She, she did everything, and when you see it, you're just like, holy crap. It's just she perfectly nails it. Everything down to the absolutely horrible acting. <laughs> it just and you know you have like there's like certain tropes that movies of this ilk have that that were released in the '60s where you have like the quick zooms on people's faces and like eyes. There's a lot of extreme close-ups on people's eyes in this, yeah. and they just they she employs all of these techniques that just aid so much in nailing this, this look. And I really wish, I don't know why she, maybe it was a, a budget, a budget thing. I don't know why it's set in modern times because nothing, nothing looks modern except there's one scene near the beginning. She's driving the, the main character moves to a new town and the cars that you see are newer cars mm. some of them are old she's driving an old car but just kind of in the background and i thought it was a continuity error like i was like oh man that doesn't and then she meets up with this this uh realtor and she pulls up in a, like a brand new bmw and it's prominently shown and i'm like there's just there's no way that's a continuity error and then later on in the movie there's a scene where somebody uses a cell phone and so it is set in modern times but oh, there's like only a few things that lead you to to realize that so i don't know why she didn't just have it set in the 60s i don't, I don't really know it my my only guess is it was like a budget thing maybe but i don't know viva she, was, she just wanted to fuck with people i mean maybe like maybe that's what it was i don't know viva was set in the 70s and it looked like it was in the 70s but I don't know. Either way, I would recommend both films. I don't know which one I liked more. This one, uh, I don't know. I guess I liked them both kind of the same. They both had this had similar comedic beats to them. Yeah. But yeah, the Love Witch. I would I would highly recommend checking it out. And if you want to see more of her style, like if you're curious to see like what her movies look like, you can check out. She there's some of her shorts and things are on Vimeo. Oh, okay. So you can you can check check some of her stuff out on Vimeo. She did a short film called uh, Visit from the Incubus, and I believe that's on Vimeo. But uh, yeah, I would, I would recommend checking out The Love Witch, especially if you're into that, those types of uh, movies from that era. Yeah, nice. Uh, and that's, that's all I got. That's all I got, too. All right. Let's move on and talk about some predictions. Last week, nice guys, you said 82, I said 86, actual 90. People are loving those nice guys. Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising. You said 58, I said 62. Actual 61. 
Uh-huh. They're good things. They're good things. They're good things about neighbors too. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I never saw the original. Yeah, the first one. I liked it. Check it was okay. Those. Yeah, I'll I'll check out Neighbors too. I think. Uh, the Angry Birds movie. You said thirty-eight. I said fifty-eight. Actual forty-two. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> uh, next week got got a biggie. X Men Apocalypse. Oh shit. Heard heard some mixed things about this one. Oh shit. For some reason, normally I'm I'm excited when a new superhero movie comes out, but for for some reason this one's just not doing it for me. I feel the same way as I felt about Deadpool where it's like, yeah, I'll go see it, but I'm just not really excited like I was with Civil War. I don't know, I guess I like X- the X-Men used to be my favorite comic book same here. series. Same here. Same here. Which I But I realized something. Has um has Omega ever been in an X Men film? Have they done oh, Omega Red? Have they done him enough? No. no, they haven't. I think that's why they've always been disappointing to me. Gotta get Omega. I would love. I mean, maybe they'll put him in the new. I don't know if they announced who the villain is in the new Wolverine movie, but I think he'd be a great villain for the new in the new Wolverine movie, especially because it's the new one's rated R, and Omega Red was such a brutal character. Yeah. That'd be really cool. I think it'd be hard it, to to do him because he had such a. If you got it right, though. Yeah. Got it right. Oh, it'd be awesome. He's a great villain. Oh boy. I think Apocalypse is a great villain too, and I, I I'll be interested to see Oscar Isaac. What a weird choice to play. It's gonna be awesome. I yeah. I'm always I'm always in for X Men because to me Magneto is just he's a badass. It's just like one of the most interesting comic book characters to me. I don't know why. One, it's just one thing. Uh, it's power. One thing I heard about this one, and I and I don't know, you know, if there's any validity to this, uh, but the so X Men First Class that took place in the '60s, X Men Days of Future Past took place in the '70s. This one takes place in the '80s, and from what I heard, it's it's hard to even recognize that it's taking place in the '80s. Mm, okay, and that's kind of a a bummer because I thought that some of the most interesting aspects of the last one were just the fact that it did take place in the seventies and you had those little, you know, uh, little telltale signs that it was that era, that it was that decade, but I'll still be checking it out. What are you thinking on X-Men apocalypse? Oh, these are, these movies are tough. Yeah, I know because when you look at the X-Men movies, some have been really good and some have been really bad. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> they're all over the place. I'm gonna say like a 62. All right, I'll say 58 on that one. We also have uh, another relatively big one. This is Alice Through the Looking Glass, mm. the sequel to the Tim Burton one. This one's not not directed by Tim Burton, <laughs> produced by him, I believe. It might be a good thing. It might be a good thing, but I'm beyond yeah caring at this point. I. Yeah. Didn't see the first one because it looked bad. Oh, this one I've the first seen... one is cool. It's garbage. the The trailers for this one definitely don't do it for me. I'm I have no desire to see this whatsoever. I'll say fifty two on that one. I say forty four. All right, that's it for wide releases next week. In limited release, we have uh, uh, Chevrolet. Yes. Chevrolet. This is the one that's written by the uh, person who collaborates with Yorgos Lanthimos. 
and it's directed by the same person that did Attenberg, right? Yeah, Rachel Sun- Rachel Athena Sangari. Sangari, yeah. I've been looking forward to this one for quite some time. From what I understand, it's about a group of friends who decide to challenge each other in like a series of challenges on a boat or something. Hmm. I've I just watched the trailer today and it looks looks like it's gonna be interesting. Always. Always interesting. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited for that one. Uh Holy Hell, which I mentioned before. Presenting Princess Shaw, which is a, that's another documentary. And the idol. Yeah. So not a, not a whole lot coming out next week. No, not really. On video on demand next week. Let's see. This is for all right. We have Princess, which comes out on Tuesday, the twenty fourth, and then and then uh, that's all I have actually. Yeah, I don't have any other. Probably because it's a holiday weekend. Uh, maybe? Yeah, yeah, could be, could be. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Blu-ray next week. This is for Tuesday the 24th. We have a re-release of Manhunter from 1986. Oh, boy. I've been meaning to watch that one for a while. It's good. It's quite good. I just saw it for the first time, like, two years ago. Did it blow your mind? Got a re-release of The Burbs from 1989. Yes. I love The Burbs so much. Same here. Right there with you. It is so amazing. I just love that movie. Uh, I also have a re-release of The Great Outdoors and The Money Pit. Money Pit? Yeah, I love The Money Pit, too. I'm a huge fan of Money Pit. Now, were you a Money Pit fan or were you a Funny Farm fan? Money Pit. Yeah, I was a Money Pit. Money Pit all the way. I was all about Money Pit. Got The Finest Hours. We'll have a review for that up on the... Blu-ray review for that up on the site. Zoolander number two. Mm -hmm. Got, uh, let's see... Uh, page and through, page and through. Not seeing really anything. I feel like every week there's like forty-five anime shows that come out. Mm-hmm. It's just there's so much anime in the world right now. There does seem to be a lot. Tokyo Ghoul season two. I saw a couple episodes of that Tokyo Ghoul. It's okay. Uh, re-release of uh, Z- Zapped. Oh, I think it's the first time on Blu-ray from 1982, starring Scott Bayo. About a guy who gets telekinesis. I, I, I might check that and out. And Willie Ames? Yeah, and Willie Ames. Oh, yep. man. Uh, oh, How to Be Single, too. I missed that one. That's a new, that's a new release. Uh, that's pretty much it. What do we have on the Criterion front? Uh, we have one, and that's Robert Altman's The Player from 1992 with Tim Robbins. Never saw this one. Me either. Dean Stockwell with the Goldberg, Fred Ward, Peter Gallagher. I always remember seeing the, the cover of this one in Hollywood Video. It's one of those random covers that always stuck out for you. Stuck out in my mind, yeah. I don't know. Might have to check it out. Uh, all right. I think that that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And take a minute to look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmpulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. Kevin Rakestraw, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.